Welcome to Coffee and Poets, the producer of which is Ensa'a. We're at the Naked Lounge here on 11th and H in Sacramento, California. We're going to have some fun here. I have two special guests today. I'm Bill Gaynor, by the way. The legendary Bill Gaynor. Uh. Oh, yeah. And I have two special guests with me today. I just had the opportunity to go here and read across town. It was wonderful. Cassandra Dalit out of Oakland and... M.K. Chavez out of Oakland. They've driven a long way here to come spend some time with us. Let me re- read a couple of brief introductions, uh, little quick bios here, and then we'll jump into asking questions and stuff. Hello, guys. Hey. Our hey. gals, our ladies. I get confused on that anymore. Where do we go? What's the proper term? Is there one? She who must be obeyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's the one to be a Cassandra Dollar. Cassandra Dollar lives in Oakland, California. She writes poetry and memoir of a counterculture childhood in Vermont and her ongoing adolescence in the San Francisco Bay Area. Cassandra has published in the Slipstream, Enigma, the Criminal Class Review in the journal Sparkle and Blink. Among many others, a full-length book of poetry, Wet and Reckless, just released from Manic Deep Press, Bad Sandy coming out in the, in the near future, and she just had something out from, from Punk Hostage, and she has, no, I thought you had a little chat book out from Punk Hostage. That is from Be About It Press. Well, Christ sakes. Yeah, I know. It's Nobody confusing. told me it's not written down here. How can I tell them? And then you do have something It came out up. yesterday. Came out I didn't yesterday. know when it would actually be out. So. Oh, did you bring copies? I, I don't even have copies oh, well, yet. That's how fresh it is. It sold out and the first day. Has, then she has a new book of prose coming out from Punk Hostage Press that has a working title of Raw, but that probably isn't going to be the title I hear. Maybe, maybe not. You guys are working yeah, on my editor. something a little different. And then we have... By the way, these guys are both friends of mine. I've, I've loved them for a long time and enjoyed them. We've worked together. M.K. Chavez is the author of Virgin Eyes. Is that uh, Zygot Press? Zygeist. Zygot, okay. Uh, Visitation, next exit number nine with John Sweet and Pinnacle. Kendra Sterner Editions. <laughs> I always get a kick at Kendra Sterner Editions. Okay. Let me continue here. I'm being serious, you guys. The whole, you guys aren't supposed to you guys aren't supposed to start heckling yet. It's pretty That's irresistible, later. Bill. Okay. Uh, you can find her recent and upcoming work in Generations. This is Poetry, The Zone, and Zone 3. She has been a fellow at the Squaw Valley Writers Conference, Antioch Writers Workshop, and is this, she is the co-founder and current curator of the Berkeley-based monthly reading series, Lyrics and Dirges, and the co-organizer of the Berkeley Poetry Festival, and that was just yesterday, right? Yeah, you guys have been busy here. Uh, And she is getting, oh, she likes getting sticky whenever she gets a chance. And I didn't add that. That was on here. Okay, but you, you. I think he's blushing again. Here they go, heckling again. (laughs) 
What is the deal? I should ask you. I'm not even going to bother with any of I'm going to go right to Sticky here. And, uh, okay. Let, let's, let's get a little more serious. Now, you guys, you two have been friends for a long, long time, I understand. Which, you know, I, I just kind of... Uh, Cassandra's been in my radar here for around the last four or five years, and MK has been in my radar here for probably 15 years. I don't know, a long time. We first met down at a little club in San Francisco. And so let's quickly just throw something out about your background. Cassandra, you'd be first. Well, I've been in the poetry game a much shorter time than either of you, and actually... I owe a lot to MK Chavez as far as that goes. My first ever reading was um, a show that she and Paul Corman Roberts were curating and asked me to read in. And so at that time I, I was writing poems, but I had never read them out. I never even had been to an open mic. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how I started. And that was about 2008. Cool. So not that long at all. Well, that's pushing seven, eight years, 10 years. You're a veteran. I mean, it feels like I can't even imagine life without poetry and also without MK's yeah. friendship. But I will I will say that Cassandra is definitely one of the hardest working writers in the San Francisco Bay. She reads weekly at least, and not if not two or three times, and is published everywhere. Um, the rest of the world loves her as much as I do, and I hope that continues with the rest Thank of the world. You. It'll never stop with me. MK. Let's see. Um, I guess I've always written, but I started like officially, I guess, writing. I submitted my first piece and got published in 2006. So if we were like connected 15 years ago, it was up without my knowledge. Oh. But <laughs> I'm impressed. Oh. <laughs> and there was no. You were places you shouldn't have been, too, Bill. Yeah. That's what that means. It's, it seems longer. It seems long. Well, I, I heard her read earlier today, and uh, there was some excitement in the room, so it made me feel like I was younger. Mm. A lot younger. <laughs> or it made me wish I was younger. I was a, a lot younger. Tell the truth. Yeah, yeah, that was true. That's if I had three wishes, one of them would be for 40 years, you know. So, but then you, you've been putting on shows, I mean, hosting shows, organizing shows and doing that kind of stuff. I'm talking to MK now uh, for a long time as well. Yeah, I, it, it hap I started doing that almost at the same time that I started publishing. And um, it's kind of like an addiction, you know, kind yeah, of like, know. like God help you if you organize one reading and you like doing it because you'll just keep doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's partly inspiration. I remember hearing Cassandra read. We were in a class together. Mm -hmm. We were in a very funny writing class <laughs> together um, that was being taught by one of our friends, also um, uh, Oakland-based um, writer, Tomas Moniz. And um, I remember here, we went around, you know, homework, we had to read our homework, which is, mm -hmm. I don't know, it sounds kind of dirty now that I said it. We had to read our homework out loud. <laughs> um, and I remember hearing her poems and just being like, oh, my God, that's that's great. Yeah, and then Paul and I put together, wanted to put together uh, Acker's Dangerous Daughters reading series. And we were very excited about that. Mm -hmm. And Cassandra seemed... Like the, I just I remember hearing you read "Girl Cuffed" hmm. and just being like, "Oh yeah, nice." There you go. 
That's Paul Corman Roberts. He's another fellow out of the Bay Area that's very active in producing shows, being parts of shows, reading around the country. I've read with him throughout the nation, and I've, I've always enjoyed Paul's company. And Paul has been a great supporter of mine and yours, which mm, is, I think, I think uh, he's one of those fellows that if you happen to make a friend with him, you've made a friend for life. Absolutely, he's just a yeah. wonderful guy. So you guys... Both got your feet wet, kind of around the same time. Then, I, you know, I was thinking I've, I've known you longer than that. But you know, when you hang out in bars, uh, <laughs> time flies. <laughs> well, I, I did. I did want to. I, I did want to kind of go a, a li- in a little bit of an odd uh, direction for an interview like this, because you guys both work a lot. You write about your ethnic background or the people you've been associated with and uh, and the different cultures you guys have been involved with. The punk rock thing, it seems to be a, a, a big part of your life, Cassandra, at one time. I mean, yeah, and I've seen pictures to attest to that. <laughs> uh, as well as, you know, you live in Oakland and you are, are definitely have your foundation in Oakland and all that goes on in Oakland and around it. And then MK, you do a lot um, with the in the Latina mode, in the Latino thing. I also I I've noticed you write a lot about place, and it often goes back to Valencia, over there in, in San Francisco, that neighborhood. And I know you are originally from San Francisco, and now living in the, on the uh, Oakland side. Can you guys talk a little bit about that that kind of reach that you have? It's just not necessarily of who you are as as individuals, but that reach that you stretch out into the, what the world has allowed you to be. I'll start since you asked me first. Um, well, I came to San Francisco as a punk rock runaway kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was sort of in the punk rock scene, but still like that, I thought of that as a scene of misfits that I would fit into, but I still felt like a misfit there. (laughs) Um, I can understand. And I was dropping in and out of high school at that time. And I ended up in an alternative high school in the Fillmore in San Francisco that was run by a radical, awesome black woman named Yvonne Scarlett Golden. And she brought people like Angela Davis to talk to us and stuff like that. So it, that and the fact I was always a hip hop fan from the first time I ever heard rap music when I was mm-hmm. like seventh grade and it was Grandmaster Flash. I read a poem about that earlier. Yeah, you did. So all those things had an influence. I sort of still have my punk rock edginess and relate to that music and the, you know, rebellious nature of it. But also was I really found home at that high school, I ended up staying there and graduating, even though all my friends dropped out. Mm-hmm. I sort of, that was my first bit of community in San Francisco was for, through high school. I'm still friends with a lot of the 
the kids that went to that high school. Mm-hmm. And I got it, you know, it um, really influenced what I was reading. Alice Walker came to our school. She mm-hmm. lived across the street at the time, right there at Alamo mm-hmm. Square. And um, so when she came, I read all her books. I was a broke ass kid. I stole books from bookstores and read them. Um, You know, I was starving for it. And that turned me on to Toni Morrison. And so in my writing, I'm trying to reflect all those different influences and sort of my own search for identity, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the political side of being the mother of a young black man in an age when young black men are being murdered yeah, all the fucking time, excuse time. my language. Um, so yeah, I write about those things. Yeah. I, I just listened to you today, read some poems about that, it, that in relation to your neighborhood, mm-hmm. what was going on in your backyard as well as what's going on in the front yard, two mm-hmm. very different scenes that are going on. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to live that experience myself, and I hope I don't the way you guys explain some of that stuff. I don't know. It, it sounds like you guys are um, great survivors, but, it, it, but I don't want to take that challenge. Well, I hope you do come to my backyard because well, I would love what to, I'm trying to tell you about in my poems is that I live in a neighborhood that's called Dangerous. I do hear gunfire, you know, awful things do happen. But most of the time I'm in the backyard with birds and bees and dogs and mm-hmm. flowers and it's really quite lovely um, and peaceful and I like my neighbors very much. Um, so I'm writing about those contradictions and yeah. how it is really home to me and I love it even in all its roughness. That, that, is, a, that is a good term, the, the contradictions in one's life. It's actually the uh, comparisons and contrasts. Yeah, we have poetry readings in the backyard yeah, sometimes. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Stokes told me, SB, SB Stokes told Fruit me Fruitvale vale is the next next yeah. big thing. So I'm going to jump over to yes, your, your sidekick over here or, your, or maybe you're her sidekick. Uh, maybe. Oh. MK, can you touch a little bit on that kind of thing a little bit? Well, I wanted to say I think I have one poem that has Valencia Street in it, <laughs> Bill. Oh. However, um, uh, and I think the word or, yeah, that you might find in more poems of mine per capita is probably vagina. Um, I've noticed that as well. Yeah. I've noticed um, that as well. And, you know, I think we could all write about visiting vagina since that's like our first place, right, where we come from, all of us. <laughs> um, at least we stopped through there but, anyway on the way out. Um and I guess that I, I feel like I, I do write old, about... You know, that's an old guy joke, you know. Uh, You're calling me an old guy? No, no, no. I I, you I'm me. saying that's an old guy joke, you know. You, 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 you spend nine months trying to get out and the rest of your life trying to get back in. Yeah. So anyway, do continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I think what I do is um, actually not so much talk about place in terms of San Francisco or the mission or Oakland necessarily as much as places in terms of body, mm-hmm. um, which is why vagina shows up a lot in my poetry because uh-huh. I'm talking about um, my experience as a woman and a lot of um, how I enter different subjects is through that experience. So whether I'm writing about being Latina or being a dark-skinned woman, um 
the experience is, is through there. Mm. You know, there is no other way for me to be able to express my experience in the world um, because everything I do is really affected by people's perception of mm-hmm. me as a, as a woman. So, yeah. um, so I mediate through that and, and actually really enjoy it because I think being a woman is pretty rad. Um, I think being a woman is pretty badass actually. I so, think being around women is pretty yeah. badass. I like that. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So they're there. I should say, I, I, you know, as we all, um, poets and writers are notorious for having day jobs because if you don't have a day job, you're going to starve to death. And Cassandra is a nurse by her day job. And um, MK is an, it works as an advocate in, a lot, in one field, actually. And it does a lot to do with harm and abuse and trying to... to point people in different directions than, than focusing on those things. And I think that's wonderful. We were talking about it at lunch today. So now we get back. I was talking about the hostings and readings. And I did notice, as I said, you know, you think I'm just you know another pretty face. I've been watching you for a while. And you kind of, I didn't hear your voice for a while. It seemed like four, five, six months, you, you just were kind of very quiet. Was that intentionally or it's just something I didn't catch you on the radar? I, um, I have this um, strategy. Um, it's, I think it's going to be foolproof. I think if I start dating someone and I stop publishing or writing as often as I do when I'm single, they're getting dumped. Mm. So, yeah. I think a lot of things can compete for our time and I do work full time. It gets in the way of a lot of stuff. Although I have to say, I love my job and just to give, I just want to say I'm I'm not really an advocate per se. Um, I work for an organization called the Harm Reduction Coalition. We do um, drug user advocacy, which is a little bit different than doing kind of individual advocacy. Um, And I I guess I just wanted to say that because um, there, somebody posted um, on Twitter Still giving out needles to junkies and then hashtag real winner. And, you know, and I was like, oh, I favorited that and then shared it with everyone and then said, I love drug users and I think everyone should be treated humanely and with dignity Um, because... Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm not ashamed of that. I would wear a T-shirt. Actually, I have I love drug users panties, <laughs> which we sell. And Arm Reduction has some very cool T-shirts. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not even gonna go with that one. <laughs> so anyway, I'm gonna apply a little harm reduction what to my do? writing and my dating. So um, yeah, writing is my first love. I mean, I have my kids. They're kind of like my kids yeah. and writing together, and then everything else. Well, that, that that was a question I wanted to hit on a little bit. Is, is this might leave Sandra out of the out of the little bit of this conversation, but maybe not. Okay, we in this room here. There's a few people that uh, I can look around, and they have hosted uh, over the years a lot, myself included, and, and ran readings and stuff. And I kind of find that that the public out there starts to take a different persona of you, a different view of you, as if that's your job, you know. And, and, and you don't, you're not writing as much. You're not doing this as much. You don't get as many invitations, you know. Do you feel that as well? You know, when you're focused on on organizing readings, poetry readings in advance, as you did yesterday. I mean, how much that had to put a lot of time into making the Berkeley. Uh, Poetry festival happened. 
yeah, it does take a lot of time. Um, I think it's all about balance and you get better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the, tr- the trick to getting asked to read places is to read places. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, it, it can be really super easy or it can be really hard. And um, I, I do think at least initially it gets... It can get in your way. It's kind of like beginning to edit. If you start editing other people's work, it's possible never to submit your work to anyone again because you get into this mode of looking at your work with a critical eye that you shouldn't necessarily be looking at. You you know, like you need to produce first, then you can edit. Um, But I think they can coexist. And I actually feel really inspired by the people that um, I get to invite to. Mm-hmm. read and I get to honor them. And that to me is super inspirational. Yeah. That's, uh, I often say when I'm hosting that, that it's always my greatest pleasure to introduce my friends to my friends. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I just love that part of it. You know, it's like bringing you guys, Cassandra's read up here a couple of times and we've had some fun and, uh, a couple of other uh, Bay Area people. We're going to have to get you up here, uh, MK, some sometime or another, somehow. In fact, we've even had a couple of these audience guys read out here. That that guy over there. That's, uh, I thought they looked like trouble. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That A-Razor guy. He's, he's read up here a couple of times. And rocked the house, I might say. And then got a $52 parking ticket uh, <laughs> way out of town. Oh, oh, oh. Fails. Sacramento has crazy parking rules. Let's get down to style a little bit. Okay. You guys, I noticed both write confessional stuff. Open verse. And is that by choice or is that just something that, that lays on your shoulders and said, this is where I work from. This is my, this is my being. This is what I do. I'm certainly is for me, I guess. Um, I came into writing sort of carrying a lot of baggage and shame and anger and hurt and all these things. And so that, comes out in a very confessional way mm-hmm. and yeah that it just is that way for me <laughs> I mean that's what I like about writing is just getting all that stuff out yeah. and uh, I found really early on in the game that people were very responsive to the mm-hmm. honesty and the more you put it out there the more you connected with people and I mean it's been very life-changing for me um I was not really that good at making new friends and socializing and stuff. But after you get on stage and pour out these very personal stories and then people come and talk to you and you make some really amazing connections with people. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really a form person so much. I just write it how it comes into my head mostly. I um, I guess I what I... I had to learn it the hard way, but I remember um, getting invited to read like in a, that was in a bar setting, mm-hmm. you know, really exciting, lots of people drinking, yeah, alcohol, a lot of noise. fun. And then there I was with my heavy political poetry. Boy. Hmm. Yeah. So um, after doing that, um, I realized that I had to be really careful about my audience and what I shared with them. And so, you know, I'm not a lot of readings, most readings, I'm not going to show up and read anything I've written that's experimental. 
because people will be like, oh, my God, she sucks. Um, <laughs> and if I, I went and read you, you, at the experimental reading. reading I did um, that I read at a, f a few weeks ago called um, Macaroni Necklace. Um, and if I read what I read today, I would have there would have been crickets there, mm. um, you know, and I read something very different there. So. I do play around a lot with what I um, what I write, um, what I read is really varied, and I guess that the things that I like to like I really enjoy sound poetry, for example, mm. lang lang people who are playing with language and sound. Uh, I'm not going to write any sound poetry, but I guess I feel like I I I go all over the place. I just really package very differently for different you know, for different readings and different publications. Mm -hmm. Well, that's another thing that I, I wanted to, to step up a little bit here. Uh, uh, I've noticed both of you, in, in, in my, you know, I've been in this racket since the 60s, you know, so I'm an old guy. You might probably can't tell by my voice. I sound very young, don't I? Sure. <laughs> that was I'm the not. best face ever. <laughs> you shouldn't have told on yourself then. Uh, you don't look a day over 25. Oh, thank you. See, she knows how to flatter. This girl knows how to flatter. But, uh, well, I, I should say as well, I get a kick out of it because I always think of the... the of you folks, you folks as kids, and I, and, and then I realized, wait a minute, these guys are forty-five years old. They got grown sons. They're not kids. These are uh, adult women who are contributing to everything in the world and helping make my life better. And I appreciate that. So, and part of that maturity in writing as we go along. You start to see, you know, though the eye, I welcome the eye anymore in, in poetry. You know, it used to be like that was no man's land. Right. Wasn't, you don't go there. But I do welcome that more. But I noticed that both of you, uh, and I think this is a sign of a seasoned writer, uh, stay away from the second voice. You need to do this. You need to do that. You're not offering advice. You're not telling people what to do. You're not telling people that they need to do this or that. You're sharing your stories, your vision, what's going on in your heart and in your life, you know, your backgrounds. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I didn't even know that was a thing you could do in poetry. Oh, well. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. I don't think your poem or story should ever tell the person how to feel about it, how to interpret it. You lay it out and you let them take it from there. And hopefully, I mean, I think a good poem just works like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be confident. Everybody's interpretation will be different, but they'll get it or they'll do something with it. You know, mm -hmm. you, I don't, yeah. I don't never try to tell people how to feel about something. I think it's hard to write a, a good you poem. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there, I know that there's at least one because I know I've read it and I'm not going to be able to recall what it is. Um, but it was good. I remember thinking, wow, that that's great that they could pull that off. Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard to do it. Yes. Um, and I would well, only do well, it if I could do it really yeah, well. It's hard to do without being a, a offending folks, you know. I often hear, hear young writers do that on stage, you know. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need, And it's like, wait a minute. You know, I'm 60-something years old here, you know. I was around before dirt was dirty, for Christ. 
what do you know? You know, and it's kind of like, what does any of us know? It becomes a question, you know. I don't know anything more than what goes on in my world. So for me to, to push my world off on you and say you need to do this is kind of it's kind of a, an encroachment that's not not welcome. Well, yeah, but if you I can tell you a story from a very different perspective, mm-hmm. and maybe you'll hear mine, and maybe you know it'll have an effect on you. So you'll true. take some of that in. I don't have to tell well, you. You need to listen and change your mind about something. You know, that, that comes down to those ugly questions, though. And the, the two ugly that. questions about, uh, about poetry is what is poetry? What is poetry? Well, I mean, I think, you know, like any, any art, it is, you know, kind of mediating of, of the universal experience. You know, when we create something and then we put it out in the world. It's one thing if I create something and then put it in my closet. Um, but if I create something and put it in the world and share it, I'd, I'd want people to connect with it. Um, I, I have to say, like, I, I have remember, you know, like I remember meeting poets who were like, I, I don't care what people think about my poetry. Mm. <laughs> so I'm like, and why are you publishing? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, what poetry is, it's, it's my, you know, art. It's art that I create that I try to um, create as a way to connect with other people. Mm. And what I, what I'm trying to share with them isn't my correct experience of something, but rather my human experience. And if they can connect with any part of that, that's great. I mean, one of my, one of my all time favorite, um, compliments I've ever gotten in my work was, um, an, uh, older lady came up to me after one of my readings and said, I really love your work. I'm going to go ha- home and have sex with my husband. Oh, that's <laughs> hot. <laughs> and that's I just hot. thought like, swing. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I can do, I feel like, oh, I've, you know, really contributed something to yeah. the world. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Bill's going to send his wife she's, over. She's back, at, she's back at that vagina stuff again. <laughs> No, you know, the compliments, you know, I just, I recently read for Burning Man folks again, and it, it's... Sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a different crowd. It's wild, you know, it, it, it's, but it's a lot of fun. I, I must say that, but it's wild. Lot, this scene here was, it was more Mad Max, you know, than it was, and it was um, just crazy, insane, loud, dope. Bar room, you know, the whole thing. And the compliment was when I'm leaving, the guy running the door says, I really liked your stuff, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, well, thanks. <laughs> you know? Take it where you can get yeah. it. So anyway, okay. Okay, you you kinda you kinda hit on, on what my opinion of poetry is as well. You know, if I had to sum poetry up, I would say an expressive literary art form. Boom, you know, you know, and then what is a poem, though? What? Go ahead. I mean, a poem is whatever you say it is. That's what I think. I would have told you I hated poetry before I started writing it, but I grew up around storytellers and one of those houses where there's always a bunch of people smoking dope around the table telling stories. And I wanted to tell stories. I always loved memoir. I always loved documentaries. I like to find out what's going on with people. So I wanted to tell stories. I have a very short attention span. And when I figured out you could write a poem that told a little story and you 
could punctuate it how you wanted it or do, you know, it could be whatever length. Mm -hmm. It could be four lines. It could be pages. That really appealed to me. So that's what poetry is for me. It's freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Poet, the, the poem is just a, I think, I think MK kind of touched on it a little bit. It's just a standalone piece of art. You know? Well, it's yeah. awesome to see what people's idea of what a poem is. And when you tell them you're a poet, you know, the face mm -hmm. that I probably would have given too. you know, oh, that's so hard to understand poetry. I hated it in school or whatever. But then they come to a reading and they we, you know, especially we read with all kinds of, you know, from mm -hmm. slam poets to yeah. the older beat poets and everything in between. Right. Mm -hmm. So then when people realize all the different stuff that there's something there they're going to connect with that you don't you know, you're not going to like everything. Nobody right. does. We all suffer through lots so of true. not great poetry. So true. I, I guess or I, not great for us. I guess I want to say that I, I agree with that. And I also feel like at the risk of being, well, no, there's no risk. Um, I think some stuff is in poetry. I don't think Kenneth Goldsmith reading Michael Brown's mm. Autopsy is poetry. I have to agree with that. I think it's immoral. Um, I think Vanessa Place um, deciding to uh, put Gone with the Wind on Twitter and saying that, um, you know, it has any artistic value or poetic purpose is also immoral. I think that, um, you know, taking sh a shit on a piece of paper is not poetry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I think about like what those um, people are doing, like those artists, you know, they often, you know, they allude to the surrealist and they, you know, they, they liken themselves mm -hmm. to people who have, you know, done conceptual art. And I think about surrealists and where they were coming from and how they didn't have anything. And they had just experienced like one of the, you know, the first world war and how they were, you know, really trying to survive. And I think about how their art was completely being mediated by survival and trying to do this beautiful thing. And now we have poets like Kenneth Goldsmith and Vanessa Place who are not engaged in anything like it. So I guess maybe I am a little bit, um, I always want to be fair, you know, and I guess I'm not, not concerned anymore with being fair. I'm concerned with not being uh, an asshole mm -hmm. um, and not supporting people who are hurting other people in the process of, of you know, feeding their ego. Yeah, that's, I would offer that as well. You know, I don't think the intent of a poem or poetry either is to offer harm. You know, I would hope it's not. And, and, I, and I hope my po poetry doesn't do that. I haven't seen that happen in your guys' poetry, and I appreciate that. Or pretty much anybody in this room. And I would say, <laughs> well, we got, we got one guy over here that'll admit, admit to anything, you know. Admit to anything. He puts his hands up in the air and says, oh, no, no. Um, we blabbed on for a while. You guys have been pretty honest, sharing stuff, all that kind of stuff. Now, how about reading a couple of poems for us? I, I, I can't help noticing <laughs> MK's poems over here. She's used one of them to blot her lipstick on. I think that's a lovely touch in itself. Now, that I would call poetry. 
It is nice. You haven't showed these guys, though. Anyway, Cassandra, would you like to read us a poem? Uh, Sure. Please. Okay, you said short, so I'll just read this I read earlier. 99 left balloons. As a child, I was given a balloon at Fava's shoe store with mom. I accidentally let go by the car's back door. It flew from my hand, went up and up fast with my screams. High enough to see all of West Lebanon, New Hampshire, how small and flat that mall surrounded by green, how excruciating my disappointment. I can still feel the distance between us. I see everyone I care about as that balloon rising up while I stand in a shitty parking lot, rubber boots, open mouth, tears streaming. I steel myself against that moment, save extra balloons in the pantry, soak in aloneness on the edge of my bed, ready myself for it. I carry a big fat pin to puncture red balloons before they break my heart. Yes, I like that. I'll, I'll do that. Thank you. I'll do that. MK, please. Oh, okay. A Sterling Elegy. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar says, there's light now. To define light, open a kaleidoscope of color. Warm skin is so optimistic, so alive. This little light of mine, this little light of yours. My friend says, it's 2014 and it's like we're still living on a plantation. I am writing a poem about addicts in Iran because I cannot bear NPR coverage of addiction in another country, because I cannot bear coverage of addiction in this country. I pledge not to be discouraged by news. When the news breaks about Sterling, I say, I don't expect much from a man who owns other men. There's not much new here, yet, I wait for the verdict because once I did not, and look what happened. Light can be a surprise, a shock, a could you have imagined this is still going on. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. What's new? You got new stuff happening. What do you have new? You just finished that big project yesterday. I'm amazed you're even walking today. But what's new? What's coming around the horn here? I know you have a new couple of new projects coming out, books coming out. MK, you have something? I do have projects. Oh. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, it's, I um, can't remember who it was that I was reading, like a um, biography by a writer and he just said, you know, you, sh you should not talk about it. You should just do it. And so I tend to really be resistant to that question, not because oh. I just, I, mean, I think I just, maybe I just took it to heart too much, mm -hmm. but I feel like um, maybe when it's like right here and I can say, here, here it is, mm -hmm. <laughs> then, you know, then I can put it out there. Oh. But I am working on things and um, I'm writing a lot, which I really like, which is strange because I'm really also incredibly busy. Mm -hmm. I think she's saying she's procrastinating. Um, she well, wanna, actually, she doesn't want to commit till we see. This the is fruit. somebody I write with, so oh. I can tell you there is a lot of writing going on okay. and editing. Um, and where where we are right now, I mean, it's the literary 
scene is booming and yeah. there's mm-hmm. about four or five events a night to try to figure out what you can get to and that what you're the, reading at. And That is the same here in the Sacramento region that we have just stuff happening of yeah. all genres, all different neighborhoods, ethnic groups and stuff going on. It's just wonderful. It's just great. Though, I will say, and I'm sure you guys experience this too, we, we've lost here over the last couple of years some some very dear friends in, in the scene and wonderful, wonderful writers and contributors, and we hate to see that happen. But young voices are really shaking mm-hmm. things up, which I love. Which leads me on to the next question. You guys... You folks down in the Bay Area, I hear this term coming up, and I've been involved with it a little bit myself. And I re- I'm loving this, and, and I can't help it because I think it's past due time. Down in the Bay, you know, especially as older guys, um, kind of fell under that shadow of the beat thing for a long, long time. And it was a very... Um, a very arduous thing to try to crawl out from under, you know, and, and get uh, and, and get out there where you could stand on your own feet and be recognized for who you are. Now I hear a new term coming out, which I I just absolutely love this. I kind of know where it's coming from, and it's a lot of you folks are being called parts of the beast generation, which I absolutely love. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? I think um, Zarina Zabriskie is the first person to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love it too, actually, because, um, well, yeah, it's like we can have our own thing. Everything doesn't have to be overshadowed by the beat generation, yeah. hopefully. Um, and I don't know, especially in the East Bay, we have the beast crawl and the icon of the uh, cranes at the waterfront mm-hmm. Is, is our beast. So it feels especially suiting to me, but yeah, I don't know how to define it better than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I can define it better than that either, but I feel like, um, what I can say about it is that, um, when I think of it, I, I think of it as the aesthetic of people who get things done who do things, yes. you know, yes. doers, yes. which I have to say, I love doers. Yes. Um, and, you know, so you have like, you know, punk hostage, you have people like, who are like, oh yeah, I want to get published. So uh, I'll publish mm-hmm. my own book. Um, and I think that, you know, there, there can, there's positive stuff around that. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a downside too, but I think more than anything else, it's a generation of people who are, are not waiting, who decided mm-hmm. not to wait around for, I'm not sure what we waited around for before that, but who just took control of things and started doing readings and publishing things and putting together anthologies. And, um, I mean, I guess I see that the renaissance that we're having now in Oakland is a product of, uh, not something that's happened, started happening last year, but something that's been in the works for the last 10 years, like, you know, with people who've been really dedicated, refusing to stop. So I guess when I think about the beast generation, I think of that thing, you know, like you're a beast. Mm -hmm. And I think that most of the people that I know in the literary scene are beasts. Oh, I absolutely think it's wonderful. I've been championing all of you folks for quite a while now. And I have been fortunate to to kind of... um, fall under that umbrella with you guys. And thank you so much for inviting me in because uh, 
I've been, I've done the beast crawl. This will be my fourth year. And I think that's all it is, is four years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I happened to meet, of all things, Paul, Ro- uh, Paul Coleman Roberts, who is one of the founders of the beast crawl and one of the movers and shakers, I will say, in the Bay Area. Down there, he invited me in, and then you guys have invited me in, and I've just absolutely loved it. I think you guys are moving and shaking. But anyway, back to you guys. How about another poem? The Rooster on 2-6. Recently on my return from work, a rangy group of kids was running the neighborhood looking for their lost rooster. Later on, I heard an upset of wings and dog snarls from behind the house. I knew my pit bulls had a hold of him. From the look of their feathered mouths, I thought for sure he was a goner. I called in the dogs, leaving a trail of feathers and muffled squawks. But I'll be damned if 24 hours later, after the third time we called the dogs off, that rooster limp-walked right out our front gate, disappeared into someone else's yard. Now, every morning in the early hours, I hear crowing and feel proud. I think of the Chinatown gold medallion I used to wear on my neck, Year of the Rooster. And I'm glad to be one because that was some badass cock walking away from a dog fight. <laughs> there you go. Yes, thank you. MK. I married the small press. It happened like the things that happen when you drink too much. We're a bad couple. We break up every other week. I'm embarrassed by the small press. Just the other day, we're at a poetry reading, and it starts to drink watered-down wine. The small press gets piss-ass drunk and complains loudly that the writers suck. I ignore it as long as I can. But when it starts talking shit about itself, the small press is lame. It's a pile of crap. I'm forced to pull it aside. Listen, you idiot. You are the small press. It stares at me, and I watch as recognition slowly creeps across its wasted face. And then it starts to cry. I want to walk away, but it's wrapped its junky arms around me and is clinging on. Do you still love me? It whines. And I can't help thinking about the good times. All the fucking in hotel rooms and the late nights in bars and the shoe licking in bathroom stalls and all the mementos that it leaves behind. Odd shaped chapbooks and little match sized booklets with my poetry written inside. I remember that this loser is a romantic and that in a bar brawl, I want it on my side because the preppy fucker from the university is a sissy cunt who can't throw any kind of punch. And then I remember the way the small press looks when it's been properly laid. And I look at its gimpy, twisted up, tattooed, alcohol bloated body and I can't help myself. I slap its ass and cop a feel and whisper into its ear, shut up, fucker. You know we're stuck with each other, don't you? Mm, there you and, go. And so I do have a, I, I do have a, like a disclaimer okay. uh, and, and one little bit of information because a Sacramento person's actually mentioned in that poem. Oh. And the disclaimer is that... Um, I'm actually, I'm kind of a boring person, you know, like I'm mostly like a monogamous person. I'm not like really polyamory. However, if like the large press wants to 
hang out. Yeah. I think the small person I could actually like, you know, work out a polyamory thing. Yeah, so right. I'm open to that. There <laughs> I you could go. swing that. Um, and then I wanted to say that when I was first getting published, um, Richard, I just yeah, loved Rich- poems for all, and I thought it was great. Yes. And I definitely, when I was getting um, the little poem, the match book-sized poems, and I would leave them everywhere. Yeah. It was well, that, that's, tons of that's fun. Cassandra that, has some of them. I do. I, yes. It was actually maybe the second place I ever submitted to was yeah. sending poems to him, well, which he accepted. It took about seven years, but I know, got them, and I I'll loved t- them. I'll tell, you a, I'll, tell, I'll tell you a secret about that, and I, and I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I don't, uh, he and I were talking, and he says on the phone, we, which we often do. He went crazy, you know, and moved to San Diego. Right. And he's still still making the little books. You know? The books but, are beautiful. But he's mm-hmm. still he's still crazy. I love him. We talk, you know, once a month on the phone and stuff, and catch up on stuff. And we both tend to love the same thing, and we're both kind of big guys, you know, big lumberous guys, and so uh, we identify to each other with each other, and. Uh, he was asking me one time, he said, what, what are you doing? He, uh, he said, what are you up to? And I said, you know, I got hooked up with this gal, Cassandra Dollett, and I've been doing some stuff. And I said, she's just great. He says, you know, I have some stuff from her. And he says, I've been meaning to print it. And I said, well, maybe you should. And then you told me, hey, yeah. I got this stuff. And I think my, maybe, uh, maybe we prodded him a bit well, Unknowingly, I will say unknowingly. It wasn't anything that I did, but I think I just my mentioning your name might have got your name on the top of the pile. Excellent. So seven years is a long time to wait. You know, generally, if if they don't if they take my stuff and I don't see it in a couple of months, I'm gone. You know, somebody it's going someplace. Yeah, else. I mean, most of the stuff had been published other places. Yeah. In fact, I got the books the same time that Wet Reckless mm-hmm. came out. Um, so I could have a little freebies for people that bought the book and some of the poems were in there and it was kind of actually a nice gauge, like, you know, to come into it and have your first things you ever wrote published at all is pretty good. Richard is very generous in that way. And, um, yeah, I, I just love the guy to death. He's just, he's a, a real character, real soft, loving guy. One of those big guys that's just gentle soul, you know. And uh, we're, we are fortunate to have him around, and I'm fortunate to call him a friend. So, now we've kind of blabbed it up about everything, unless you guys have some other kind of confession you want to tell me. You got to read the poetry for I got to read the poems. Confessions from me. I, uh, <laughs> I've read a lot of them, I'll tell you. And I sit there at night and go on. Damn, this kid's good. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so anyway, let's, uh, we're, we're right on an hour here, so I'm going to wrap this thing up. I want to thank Cassandra Dolan for coming all the way up here. She did, did uh, we, we managed to lasso these guys. They were doing a read, they have done a reading earlier in the day, and we didn't, let him get out of town before we had the opportunity to bring him over here and talk to him a little bit. Cassandra, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks for having us. Thanks for inviting us. MK, it's been wonderful. Great pleasure spending part of the day with you, having lunch with you, listening to your conversation and your input and your thoughts about all of it. So I want to thank Lawrence Dinkins who goes by Ensa Ah, Ensa, I got it there, Ensa Ah, 
<laughs> I want to thank the Naked Lounge for having us here on uh, H and 11th. That This is the one we're at. And I want to thank our audience for coming out and hanging out with us for a while here and just listening to these guys. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.